0: Everybody. Welcome to the Billboard on Broadway podcast. I'm Rebecca Milzoff, your host, uh, senior editor at Billboard and resident musical theater expert here. I was on vacation for a week, but I and the podcast are both back. Hooray! Uh, so as as you know, if you have listened before, um, I love talking to the artists we see on stage in musicals, but I think it's actually really important to know about the people behind the scenes, too, uh, who can often shed the most light on how a musical is actually created um, and how contemporary musical theater is sharing more and more with the contemporary pop world, which is, of course, the point of this podcast. So my guest today is honestly kind of a rock star, I think, uh, of the -the behind-the-scenes musical theater world right now. If you're a Hamilton super fan, you probably know Alex Lacamoire's name. Or if not, you've probably seen his face before since he was a constant presence in the Ham for Ham shows outside the Richard Rodgers Theater. Um, He was usually accompanying the performers on a tiny keyboard or melodica. Excellently. Uh, Alex is a longtime collaborator of Lin-Manuel Miranda's Uh, He won a Tony for his orchestrations for Hamilton and In the Heights, and he also worked on Bring It On, the musical, a personal favorite of mine, which I will never stop talking about. Uh, But Alex has been working on Broadway for over a decade, not only as an orchestrator, but as an arranger, musical supervisor, and musical director. Most recently, he did the orchestrations for and uh, musically supervised Dear Evan Hansen, for which he won another Tony. Um, And you know, for all these reasons, I think of him as kind of like the secret weapon of the Broadway community right now, uh, because so much of what he does, working closely with a show's composer, ends up determining the very specific sound of a musical, kind of like a producer or arranger on a pop album would. Um, it feels like an especially apt analogy with Alex, because so many of the shows he's worked on, going back to Wicked really integrate a modern pop sensibility into a musical theater realm. Uh, He's a graduate of the Berkeley College of Music, uh, which some of you may know as an incubator for plenty of pop stars, too. Uh, He's won two Grammys for the original Broadway cast recordings of In the Heights and Hamilton, and he just executive produced the recording of Dear Evan Hansen for Atlantic Records. And as I found out, chatting with him, Alex was and continues to be, not really a surprise, really heavily influenced by both musical theater and rock and pop music in his work. Uh, talking to Alex was really delightful. He's, he's totally brilliant and um, provides such interesting insight into uh, what happens behind the scenes in a musical. And uh, here it is, one of my favorite podcast chats so far. Just you Alexander Hamilton. Alexander. coming Alex. Thanks for having me. Oh it's great to see you. Um, So I feel like when I read about what you do on shows there are usually like eight things under your name (laughs) and it's lots of words that (laughs) I mean music direction, supervising, orchestrating, arranging Um, and I feel like to begin with it would be great to hear a little bit about what the difference is between all of these things. Absolutely. um, And why sometimes you're doing you know two out of three and sometimes you're doing six. So for those of us who don't know very much about this behind-the-scenes element of putting together a show, what do all these words mean? (laughs) Okay.
1: Um, I think the simplest one is probably the music director. Uh, Music director, I think by itself is just being in charge of the music for a show. And we're talking specifically in musical theater terms. So in charge of the musical, being the liaison between the composer and the director, being the liaison between the sound designer and the composer and the director, teaching the cast, the music. Many times the music director is the one who also conducts the show. So they're usually there at the theater eight times a week, not only, uh, performing the show, but possibly doing rehearsals during the day, training understudies, maintaining the show. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like just a global bird's eye view of the the mechanics of making the show happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's arranging. and Arranging is basically deciding big picture things about uh, a song. Um, and also sometimes that ties into vocal arranging, which is making uh, harmonies for songs. Um, you know, arranging, the best way to describe it is that the feel of the song sometimes can be totally modified in an arrangement an example i always use is there's the original version of uh uh, with a little help from my friends by the beatles and then there's the joe cocker version Mm -hmm. same song same lyric same chord progression more or less but it's been modified one has a certain feel and the other has a different gospel inflected feel with a different section in the middle that goes fast and perhaps some different chord changes so that's an example of a song kind of having two completely different arrangements um And then uh, you can also do things where you, as an arranger, you decide what keys you want things to be in. You can perhaps change the ending. You can decide that... uh that the overall arc of the song, the feeling of the song, is X, Y, Z. Um, so that's arranging. And then orchestration is actually being specific about what each instrument in the orchestra plays and actually putting pencil to paper, or in my case, sitting at a computer screen and putting dots on the screen. <laughs> and that is saying, okay, the, uh, the oboe is going to do this, the uh, French horn is going to do that. And it's also deciding what the sonic palette of the piece is going to be. So as an orchestrator, you decide okay, this is the the instrumentation that I want the show to be. I I don't, for example, think that this show requires timpani. (laughs) I don't think Mm -hmm. that this show needs oboe, but I do think it needs strings. So it's deciding what the the sonic sound of the show is and then deciding when and how you use those instruments because you don't want to use all your colors at once. You want to pick and choose when things make an entrance so that it it fits and suits the song and the story that you're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. So um, those are kind of like the basic jobs that that I do and kind of a a quick description of them.
0: Well, I'm... I've always thought that there, people kind of don't get what a huge part orchestration and arranging is of putting like any song together. I mean, in pop music too. Sure. And we're we're used to thinking that the composer of the show is kind of like the sole composer. Mm. And in a huge way, you really are like the co-composer when you're deci- when you're like you said describe putting the like sonic palette together. Mm. I mean, I would think that that relationship is different depending on the creator you're yes, working with. Absolutely. Um, is, is it sort of a, a weird power balance ever in terms of like how much to assert your opinion of what things should sound like when you're working with a composer?
1: Well, it's interesting. I never really think of what I do as co-composing. And I know some people uh, maybe think it does, but uh, to me, the composer is the composer. <laughs> so the, mm-hmm. the song does not exist without them. Uh, I, I don't really contribute lyrics. I don't really contribute... Uh, 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 you know, maybe I'll make suggestions about, oh, perhaps if you move this section over there, maybe this chorus can happen there. But I don't consider that to be... Uh, creating something out of nothing, the way composers do. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess for me, I have always found that my forte is enhancing something that's already there, and mm-hmm. kind of working with materials that are provided, and that is the clay, if you will. And then you can kind of mold it and, and have other things happen with that. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, when I work with someone like Liman Mo Miranda, for example, we have a shorthand, and I've worked with him for so long that I know what it is that he's looking for, and he can present a demo to me, or sometimes he can give me something as simple as a. a, a lyric sheet with chord symbols on it and I'll know kind of what he's trying to to, to say with a song. Uh, then you have a composer like Justin Paul and Bench Passick. Someone like Justin will actually write out all his piano parts and he will all everything will be there for you and then it's mm-hmm. kind of Okay, suggesting, well, what if this field changes there? Maybe this is a good spot to have the drums drop out completely and have that balance back and forth. So I don't really consider it a power struggle, as you would say. It's uh, because at the end of the day, the composers are the ones that that need to be happy. I, I'm providing a service for them, mm-hmm. and they're the ones that I'm trying to... Uh, to. They have a vision, and I'm trying to execute it. You're kind of so, embellishing it. Yeah, well, yeah, so there's a very... Uh, what's the word? Um you're trying to provide for them. So I I do put them up on a pedestal, if you will. Mm -hmm. That being said, I always try to have my voice as a writer come through. So again, speaking of Lynn, you know, because he doesn't write out his piano parts... There's a lot of stuff that's in there that's very idiosyncratic to the way that I approach the keyboard. Mm -hmm. And even in Dear Evan Hansen, there will be some things here and there that will be kind of in the way that I play the piano. But by and large, the way Justin plays is a way that I respond to in a way that I feel like I understand. So I can play in the style of Justin Paul. Mm -hmm. So that's how that comes out. So really, it's, it's a very fluid thing that for me, always starts with the writer.
0: So at what point in the process of creating a show will someone bring you in and say, I'm ready for you to do your thing or for you to look at this and kind of give me your opinion? It
1: all depends. I actually enjoy it most when it's at the very beginning uh, because that's when you get to see the show really kind of form and you get to just be at the beginning stages and just be inside of it i think that's why for me when i orchestrate it tends to flow really easily because i've been around the piece so long that it's all just second nature Mm -hmm. uh there have been things that i've jumped in after something has already kind of left the station if you will and that's fun too because then you feel a little uh more objective you're uh able to kind of see things from a, a higher bird's eye view perhaps and you're not quite so uh enmeshed in it that you have a hard time seeing the forest for the trees. Mm-hmm. I like that too. But for me personally, I enjoy kind of having that totality of vision, if you will, where you really just know the thing so well, and you have a clear idea of what you want every single piece of that score to sound like and feel like. And you can decide, this is who I think the sound designer should be. This is who I think the band should be. And, and that kind of... Uh, Putting together is something that I really respond to. Mm
0: -hmm. And how do you figure out whether it's a show you want to conduct or not? Because you did that for Hamilton. I did. But not for Dear Evan Hansen. I did not for Dear Evan Hansen.
1: So that for me just mostly had to do with timing. Uh, Dear Evan Hansen was starting to come up just around the same time as Hamilton. Uh, And Hamilton, when that came along, I hadn't actually conducted a show in a long time. The last show I had held a chair for before that was In the Heights. Mm -hmm. And I stopped conducting that in 2009. So, between 2009 and Hamilton, I was supervising or uh, just arranging, very much taking a backseat, a global view of it. But when Hamilton came along, I was like, no, this is the show I want to play. <laughs> I mm-hmm. want to be at the theater for this. I want to play with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I want to be around my friends. I want to. Uh, there was a magic to that show that I knew that it's something that I wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. And Hanson was happening at the same time. There's no way that I could be in two places at once. As a matter of fact, Dear Evan Hansen was actually that summer of 2015 was starting at, at the arena stage in D.C. Mm-hmm. And I was still conducting the show. So uh, it, it re- I just had to basically stay where I was. It felt like it was going to be too... Um, uh, it, it would have rocked the boat a little bit too much to leave Hamilton that early. We hadn't even opened on Broadway yet. We knew that we had a road to the Tonys ahead of us. So I wanted mm-hmm. to have that experience of being there. Um, but what it does afford me to be the music supervisor of a show like Dear Van Hansen is to be able to see it all at once and sit in the back of the house and listen to how the sound system is pumping out that music to see how the orchestrations are playing along with, the uh, songs on stage and the singing and how it all goes together. Because when you're up there on that podium, you don't really get to have that uh, uh, that backseat view. And mm-hmm. you're focused so much on having to play the piano, making sure it's together. You know, When you're conducting, you're thinking about other things. And you don't really get to hear what the show sounds like from out in the house, which is where it really counts. Yeah, so you I,
0: literally have distance. Exactly right.
1: So I, I, I quite enjoy that.
0: Uh, that's so much fun. Um, so... I feel like we, many of us know you from your work with Lynn, starting with In the Heights. But as I discovered, you, you kind of had a long Broadway career before that. <laughs> um, so I was curious to hear a little bit about um, any of your earlier projects that you feel were formative and yeah. kind of turning you into the guy who could do Hamilton and do Hansen. Hanson. <laughs>
1: uh, thanks for asking. Um, <laughs> I actually really enjoyed working on Boy the musical. That was my first real big professional gig. Uh, that was off-Broadway at the Union Square Theatre. We opened in 2001. And that was super formative for me because working with a composer as genius as Larry O'Keefe was so uh, educational and wonderful and eye-opening. And I had my own way of orchestrating and arranging prior to that. But working mm-hmm. alongside Larry and seeing the way that he does it, my mind just went <laughs> and, like, and really, to this day, the way I approach guitar writing uh, was very much uh, exploded by the way I saw Larry O'Keefe do it. Uh-huh. So that was really cool. Uh, and That was really uh, where I learned how to be an MD and, and, and do a big show. And I made a lot of misfires then, because really, what you do is a lot of trial and error. I would love to one day go back and redo the show somehow, and maybe one day I will. Um, and so, I
0: feel like he's sort of a weirdly a bit of a kindred spirit with Lynn, too.
1: I would say so. It, it, what was wonderful about meeting him is uh, we had mutual friends put us together. And someone said to Lynn, and it was someone that I knew from Miami from growing up there. And they said, mm-hmm. oh, you should call Alex Lockamore. He's Cuban. He's from Miami. He's an arranger. He's an MD. I think you guys would hit it off. And, and that was the truth. We just kind of just felt that connection. And that was really wonderful to have that bond with him and to really kind of get inside the way that he writes and to, in a way, kind of be able to not predict it, but be able to just surmise from just the littlest of, of, of ideas of what it needs to be. Because back in the day, in the Heights, Lynn did not make demos. He would just type out chord symbols on top of his <laughs> lyric sheets. So yeah. all those piano montunos were things that I developed with my co-arranger and co-orchestrator, Bill Sherman. So that was really wonderful to get our own imprint into that mm-hmm. um, before that actually I was also working on Wicked which was again super super formative yeah. and what was wonderful about that is that I've always been a huge admirer of Stephen Schwartz's music and I would be a kid in my bedroom playing along to this the vocal selections of Pippin and Godspell and staring at his picture in the back of that and being like wow this As guy did we all didn't I would marvel wow he was 24 and he already had a Broadway show how amazing and I, I was just obsessed with his music and I finally got to meet him and uh and there was a connection there and he started using me for his projects and uh being on wicked was wonderful for a few reasons number one i got to watch bill brown orchestrate and he was a master and we've just recently lost him but he's someone that really completely just changed the way that i see how orchestration in theater can function and how to take something away from the piano and how to create colors that I just did not know enough about. Mm -hmm. So that exposure to me completely informed the way that I orchestrate now. And it was also wonderful that... Stephen Schwartz was so open to having uh, my voice be a part of the arrangements of the, the music, as well as with Stephen Aremus, the orchestrator, uh, sorry, uh, the, the music director, and now currently the music supervisor of the show. And it was one of those things where I would be in a rehearsal room with Joe Mantella, the director. And Steven Schwartz would be in a different room. And in the room that I was in, the director would say, OK, we need some music to cover this. Uh, w- what do we got? <laughs> so I would be like, oh, how about this? And I would start playing on the piano. And uh, eventually those things became part of the show because Steven Schwartz wow. would be like, OK, yeah, that works. Great. Or other times we'd be in a rehearsal room and uh, we did music and Steven Schwartz was in the room. So Steven Schwartz would sit at the piano, try a couple of things and be like, OK, how about that? And we'd be, yeah, that sounds great. And then he'd be, okay, you guys take care of it. And it would be our job to actually write it down. And in that process, I would do my own, you know, I would pour over the, the chords and decide, okay, I want this note to be here and I want that to be there. And it was very... uh I would kind of structure sounds in a way that I thought was in the style of the show, in the style of Stephen Schwartz, but also Mm -hmm. very much in in the style of me. So being able to fuse all those things together was really, I I, I cut my teeth on those experiences. Yeah,
0: being given that kind of freedom by someone like Stephen Schwartz is pretty amazing. Oh,
1: I was so lucky. And I was like all of like, I guess at the time, 28. (laughs) So it's like, it's great to have that experience and have that kind of uh, a support behind me. It was, there was nothing like it. I don't know where I'd be without him.
0: Yeah, it doesn't get much better than that. Was, it, was this what you always wanted to do um, in terms of, you know, coming up and composing and doing things like that?
1: Or? I, I think I knew I always wanted to do music. I can't tell you that I dreamed of being in theater. It's not something that I really saw, like, in my earliest days of my youth. Like, back then, I was so into pop music and the MTV culture I wanted to be a pop musician. There was a time I wanted to be Billy Joel (laughs) or Bruce Hornsby or or any of those guys. I feel like
0: this is something that comes up a lot in conversations on this podcast is there was a time when I wanted to be Billy Joel. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. And who doesn't? Uh, So uh, for me, rock music and pop music was always something that I was really interested in. And then I learned about jazz in high school. And the musical theater bug bit me when I was in junior high. And I went to an arts junior high school. They were doing a summer production of Bye Bye Birdie, and they needed someone to play bass. So Mm. what they had was they couldn't find a bass player, but what they did have was a small bass keyboard. That was probably like an (laughs) octave and a half. And here they are asking this 11-, 12-year-old kid (laughs) to play the bass part on a keyboard for Bye Bye Birdie, (laughs) which is crazy for me to think that that happened. But I got (laughs) to see my colleagues up on stage performing, and they were just so... Mm -hmm full of life and they were so fun and there was a community there and there was a family that was so much more, for me, much more inclusive than the other music side of things. And what I mean by that is when you're practicing your piano, you're by yourself in this solitary room, just Mm -hmm. practicing your solo concert piano piece that will eventually be performed by yourself on the stage for me to be able to have that communal feeling of being part of a band, being, playing with a bunch of singers and it was so jovial. It just, it it woke something up in me which I loved. So it's, uh, that the theater thing was something I always kind of maintained. It was always something that was murmuring in my education. So even though I was studying Mm -hmm. jazz really fiercely and studying classical piano really fiercely in high school, I would also like play what's that story in the theater department. (laughs) I would still uh, be asked to arrange music for a play. So it was something that I would always kind of like uh, dip my toe in and kind of kept my my chops up in that medium.
0: Well, I wish that I had known that this was an option when like a long time ago when i chose an instrument to play my mom grew up playing piano and was Mm. like don't play piano it's so solitary like you'll always be by yourself (laughs) clearly if only i had known you i would have know this was was an option it's
1: whole it's a whole other world yes
0: well i played french horn it worked out okay i love the the french horn yes yeah you you write great french horn stuff (laughs) i I always i always appreciate a little french horn solo here and there i'm Um, a sucker for french horn Um, so you mentioned being really into rock and pop music. Like what is your usual listening diet? Like when you're working on a show, do you try to listen to stuff that's very different from it? Do you try to put yourself in kind of a sonic world outside of work as well? Or,
1: you know, it's interesting. I, uh, so growing up, I was always into, like I mentioned, pop music. I had a real big classic rock phase for a while. Uh, when it comes to projects that I'm working on, it's interesting. I, I don't do a ton of like immersive listening to really understand it. For whatever reason, I feel like the music speaks to me in the way that it does. And I feel like for me, what I already know is already there and I can access that in the way that I need to. I think for me, references are really helpful. For example, when Justin Paul says, oh, it needs to sound like this, let me play you the song, and I get the feel of it, and there might be some character of a guitar or some character of a, of, um, a drum sound in there that might influence the way that I will write it. So that's helpful for me, but I've never been the kind that totally... Just starts like living and breathing the music to the point that there's nothing else to listen to. For Hamilton, there was definitely a lot of times that I was listening to a lot of hip hop on the treadmill when I was at the gym and mm-hmm. really taking apart like, oh, this is how Jay Z uses the hi hat. Oh, okay, this is how Tribe Called Quest uses the the upright bass. Whatever, I would listen to that and and mm-hmm. try to uh, uh, analyze it. And uh, the same thing happened when I was working on Bring It On. I was listening to a lot of Katy Perry. I am a huge <laughs> uh, Bring It On. Oh great, band. I'm so glad. Well, you know, if it wasn't for Bring It On, I do not know how I would have been able to orchestrate Hamilton. Hands down, because that was. I'm
0: glad to know. Bring it on! It's still relevant. Oh, um, I'm gonna say. <laughs> I,
1: I had such a great time crafting that show. It, it was a lot of work, and it almost killed me because I really uh, had a lot of uh, talk about trial and error. That was a show that went through three different phases of what the orchestration uh, finally ended up being. But for me, it was a lesson on how to use space. Because at the beginning, of the show was so packed with musical information to the point that it just couldn't breathe. And I, I had it to find out the hard way, how it was to make that show, have the space that it needed so that it worked in the theater so that it didn't obliterate the vocals and it didn't completely just, uh, uh, you know, create this avalanche of sound that was, in Mm -hmm. the end, uh, just a little bit too grating. Uh, So at the end, once we got to Broadway and did all these phases, I finally figured out how to use digital elements in a Broadway setting. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for that, I know I would have been like totally lost at sea with Hamilton.
0: It's totally in there. I'm realizing now. (laughs) I also, you should know that I regularly say it's all happening as as I bring it on, right? Oh, in conversation. I'm probably the only one who gets
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But th- I, I still stand by that record. That, And I wish more people have heard it or have gotten to, to check it out. But we spent so much time making that record the way that it is. And it's actually the precursor to the way I started making cast albums for Hamilton and for Dear Evan Hansen, whereby you do things in sections and really take your time to make everything just pristine and perfect. So again, I uh, for all the, the, the hardship I went through and bring it on, because I, I nearly suffered a, a mental <laughs> breakdown on that show... <laughs> for all that I went through, I know that it completely laid the groundwork for Hamilton. And little did I know that that's what it was doing.
0: Bring it on, informs the present. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so you, so much of the work you do is on the front end of the show, but clearly you have to remain involved as it goes along. Like mm-hmm. As the show gets going, like how does yeah. your role change?
1: Yeah, so uh, I left conducting Hamilton in September of last year. Or was that the year before? I'm, I'm, the, the years are blown together, sorry. But
0: I, you do I, for me too.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess it was last year. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right after the Tonys. And um, so my role now uh, with the Hamiltons is supervising the, the multiple companies that we have going on. So we currently have one in Chicago. We have a tour that is starting in San Francisco and is going to go to L.A. Uh, next month, actually. And pretty soon we're going to have a production in the West End. And my job is to cast those shows along with our director, Tommy Kale. My job is to go to each city and put it up and make sure it's up and running and it's up to the level and the standards that we're used to in terms of the performance of it, the execution of it, the sound of it, uh, the band of it, everything. Um, And then now I travel to check in on the companies. For example, last week, I actually started in LA to work on a different project, went up to San Francisco to check out that company for two days. And then flew to Chicago to check out that company for three days and then came back to New York and saw Hamilton a few days after that here in New York. Mm -hmm. So I basically go in and visit everybody, make sure that things are kind of running along and, 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 uh, like I said, in the way that we set the show. So it's really being the objective eye and being the set of ears that can drop in. Because when you're that close to a piece and you're performing it eight times a week, things will shift slightly And after a month's worth of time, you won't realize that all of a sudden this song that you played at one tempo one month ago is now like four clicks slower Uh because it's been gradually shifting over time and you're not aware of it. So to be able to kind of jump in and be a fresh set of eyes and be like, oh, this thing changed and that thing changed that that person that is there on the ground floor might not notice is something that's really, it, it's refreshing and it keeps things uh, uh, moving.
0: Well, this is, I was going to say this is such a great example to me of how, like, even after a show, long after a show is frozen, it still is this living, breathing thing still that is, yeah. is changing. And I think particularly with the touring productions, yeah. there can be a tendency to just assume, like, oh, you know, they just send it out on the road and no. it's all written down. <laughs> no, but, like, not at it's all. constantly changing. It's Constantly
1: like... changing. Case in point, uh, uh, Josh Henry, who does a magnificent job playing Burr, the way that he sings, the, he's great, the way that he sings the end of Wait For It is completely different than the way Leslie sang it. The way that Joss sings the end of The Room Where It Happens is different than the way Brandon Victor Dixon sings it. So uh, I actually enjoy getting together with an actor. And when there is that moment for exploration in the song, I really dig sitting with them and finding out what's the way that that actor can express themselves to the fullest, uses their vocal range and uses their vocal abilities and finds some organic way to end the song. Because the way that we know that Leslie Odom Jr. ended The Room Where It Happens on the cast album, that was his version, uh, and I while that was fantastic and that works, not everybody has to mimic, mimic that. That was the version that worked for Leslie. So mm-hmm. now we need to find the version that works for Josh, and we mm-hmm. need to find the version that works for Karen Olivo and, and et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, I really dig that.
0: It's like having like little groups of friends all over the country and just yeah, wanting to check in. That's, absolutely. It must yeah. be so much fun. Oh, I do love it. <laughs> and what will be the next step for you with Dear Van Hansen, now that you're beyond the Tony craziness? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the, the job is to maintain the show. Uh, we're now at the point where cast members are taking vacations. So we need to, we need to have... <laughs> what a vac- thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So we need to have a vacation standbys ready to go because we have a wonderful set of understudies at the theater, but we need to have a backup to the backup. <laughs> so we need to audition those people. And uh, what's great is that I have a fantastic music director at the show uh, because my current title with Hanson is a music supervisor, which Mm -hmm. is basically being the music director without having to conduct the show eight times a week that person who does conduct the show eight times a week is Ben Cohn, and he is mostly in charge, along with his associate, John Balcourt, to really train the people to make sure that they are singing the songs to the level and to the feel that we're used to. And my job is, again, to be those fresh set of eyes and to uh, uh, supervise and oversee help with the casting, be, get emails, check in on the show reports, answer questions, deal with uh, in this last month, uh, all the um, the press things that we had going on. So anything that comes up that's show-related, they'll, they'll Run by me, uh, but being on the ground floor, all that stuff. Ben Cohn is the guy taking the the, the, the lion's share of that work.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how do you judge when you have the bandwidth to take on a new show? Because I just hearing what you're doing now between all of the various <laughs> Hamilton universes and Hanson. Like, I can't imagine what you would have time to even think about a new show. But I get the sense <laughs> you may be working on one.
1: It, it's it's tricky to find that space. But I have to tell you, if if something comes my way. And the music and the project moves me in such a way that I feel like, oh my God, I have to do this. You find a way to do it. And I'm very fortunate that with Hamilton, it's now starting to become this thing that we're starting to be able to delegate a little bit more and that frees up some space in my life to do other things and take on other projects. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's quite great because I, I, yes, I, I have a lot of stuff on my plate, but I do it because I love it. And that's why I do this. I I do this because I enjoy making music. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy uh, what it is that I can contribute to a piece of music, to a piece of theater, a piece of art, whatever that is. So uh, when something happens and I feel like I can be of service to it, then I find a way to clear my schedule. I find a way to make it work. I stay up later than I need to Uh, my wife is so understanding about that and Liana (laughs) is so great about knowing that this is something that I love and that this is something that fulfills me but I also try to be good about carving out the time that I need to say okay this is when I'm taking a vacation everybody this is what I'm going to do or to say no this is my night to spend time with my wife and and to do that so you basically have to decide that this is the time for me to do these things and to accomplish Mm -hmm. it but but it is a little tricky I'm constantly behind on emails I'm usually late to stuff (laughs) But that's poor planning on my behalf. (laughs) Uh, But you you find a way to make it work. Uh, Music sustains me, fulfills me. And you just find a way to have your other stuff handled. You find a way to to clear that space so that you can do what it is that you truly love to do.
0: Um, Well, I have to ask because you were such a presence in the Ham for Hams um, with your (laughs) melodica and and, and, and other ways. And, I mean, you have jobs that are often so behind the scenes and you've become sort of this like... (laughs) Person who people know for <laughs> his like behind the scenes things in a way that maybe I'm guessing you didn't expect would happen. No, not at all. Not is, at all. And you have like such a social media presence. It's so crazy. I just wanted to ask about how how that has changed your life.
1: It's <laughs> been wonderful. Uh, I I know that what I do is not something that people always focus on so to be able to uh know that there's an interest in what i do i'm so honored because as you can see i can talk about music and talk about what i do forever uh and i enjoy when people take an interest to in what it is that i do because i know how interested i was in it when i was a kid yeah. so to be able to get twitter uh uh questions <coughs> excuse me Twitter questions and, and uh, uh, compliments on what it is that I do to know that there are people who are listening to my work in that way, people who I don't even know and people who are being affected by stuff that I get to be part of. That's a huge honor to me. And uh, I'm also just very thankful that Lynn manuel has always been so inclusive of me and brings me along for stuff and takes me to the White House and asks me to back him up on the ham for ham on the street in the Melodica. I feel like if it wasn't for Lin-Manuel, I I don't know that I would have uh, any kind of uh, presence in what it is that I do. I I think that kind of being able to put a a face, I suppose, to a name Mm -hmm. and to be able to attach me and to be so generous in his compliments to me, to be so uh, uh, just vocal about what it is that I, I help the, uh, the music be for the show. Uh, I, it, it's something that I don't take lightly and um, I'm just very thankful for him and I just kind of just take that ball and run with it and, and, and do my thing and, and I'm always tickled by the people who say to me, oh, I, I love what it is that you do the people who notice the details of what I do or even when I get recognized on the street that, that's something that still blows my mind
0: yeah. I feel like people get very nerdy with you with like, <laughs> is this like chord change what I think it is? Totally, <laughs> and I
1: love it because those are the questions that I was asking when I was younger so I totally get it
0: Yay uh, yay for music nerds um, <laughs> <laughs> Well, this has been really fun Thank you for coming Thank
1: you for having me, Rebecca it's, it's wonderful to be here Yay. see
0: You can, of course, hear all the fruits of Alex Lackamore's work on the original Broadway cast recordings of In the Heights, Bring It On, Hamilton, and Dear Evan Hansen. And as usual, if you like the Billboard on Broadway podcast, please continue listening. Please give us lots of stars and nice reviews on iTunes. And come back next week for more Broadway fun. Blah, 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 blah.